Welcome to the Mark Stare Music Podcast. This podcast is an audio journal of my guests and I's adventures throughout the world of live and local music. My name is Mark Stare and I'm a 20 plus year veteran of the Twin Cities, Minnesota Metro music scene. Check out MarkStareMusic.net for upcoming shows, news, and info. If you'd like to toss a buck or two in the podcast tip jar, please visit Patreon.com forward slash Mark Stare Music Podcast. Awesome to be back rocking Breezy Point last weekend. Happy birthday to Nikki Moe. This week's podcast, number 329, dropping today, Tuesday, February 8th, 2022, is part two of three of Minnesota singer-songwriter Dan Israel. We talk the album Dan Who, going full-time as a musician in the Twin Cities and more. Enjoy the conversation. So, Dan, you were talking about uh, your song, Plenty. Yeah. Yeah, Plenty. Um, like, like... I just I had really I'd always had really strong opinions on stuff. Not all not all one way or the other politically, just just strong opinions. I was like in high school I was opinion page editor of my high school paper and I had a column and so I mean I it was always real hard for me to be publicly nonpartisan because I I felt pretty strongly about some stuff and um not always to left or right, you know, like I kind of take my own path, um, much to the chagrin of people on both sides sometimes of those issues. But, uh, I did, I did have this song called plenty about a, about a guy who exploited, uh, race and class divisions to advance his political career and appeal to the lowest common denominator and didn't give a shit about poor people. And I got, I got away with it, but some one critic in town wrote something about, and there's also a song on this album about a, it sounds like it's about a local politician or something called Plenty, you know, and like that made me nervous. Who is the music critic? Uh, Chris Riemann Schneider. Okay. Yeah, but he didn't out me. He knew what it was, but he didn't out me. And at the time, it could have been about Norm Coleman, too, <laughs> but it wasn't. That's it wasn't. real funny. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So, but I mean, part of me liked being, there was aspects of the job that I did like, you know, I liked being in the center of activity, action, where power was, where things were happening, where decisions were being made. I was good at the job. You know, I, I, I a lot of it was proofreading out loud. And I got to tell you, it's because I left the job now four years ago. If there's one thing I miss other than some of the people who I do still see sometimes because they come out to shows and stuff, but besides the people the, the the aspect of the job that I miss the most, I, I really used to start to like to read out loud. Like I, he might say, oh, he likes the sound of his own voice. That's not even so much. It's like I just want, you know, I always wanted to be on the radio or do voiceover or whatever, but I kind of miss that. There's something soothing about it or I just got, it, there's like a rhythm that develops that, that I, I, you know, it could be really tedious too. I mean, you're talking about reading legislation that is legalese out loud for hours and hours and repetitious beyond belief monotonous you wouldn't believe you know but still there were times where i enjoyed that and i i enjoyed the interaction and i you know i enjoyed catching mistakes i'm, I'm like the kind of i'm a bit of a 
everyone who knows me knows I'm a little annoying with like, I kind of am a proofreader in life. I catch, I like catching mistakes, whatever, not to be an ass about it, but just, it's fun. It's like a game almost. Um, so, but, uh, so basically it went on and on like this for, for years. I, and I, then my wife and I had, uh, we were trying to have kids and we, we had, Couple, she had a couple miscarriages. I wasn't sure we were going to be able to. But then in 2005, uh, we had my son Isaac. He was a great, healthy baby. Uh, screamed. He had colic. He screamed for three months when he was born. Literally, basically. Like, like my introduction to parenting was was a bit rough. But he was he was healthy. But he had this mysterious whatever colic is, we read everything there was to read about it. And then he just stopped screaming at about three months. And then he turned into the great kid that he is, you know, but the first three months were hell. And I was under a lot of stress. I mean, uh, I was, I was working full time in St. Paul, living in St. Louis park. The commute kept getting worse every year. Traffic got worse in the twin cities. The job got worse, sort of like, from January to May, it's basically the legislative session every year in Minnesota. And in certain years, it didn't end in May. It went into special sessions and stuff. And, you know, the months of March and May were the, I call them the bewitching months because you had to work a lot of overtime. You never knew how much you were going to be in for. And it could be all-nighters. It could be weekends. And meanwhile, I got a young family. I got a long commute. And, oh, by the way, I got this music career that I'm trying to do. And, you know, it was, I was told repeatedly, you should put it all on ice for those months. Well, I never did. No way was I going to put my music career on ice half the year. So I kept plowing away during the session every year. And I kept, and I wrote a lot of songs and I recorded a lot of stuff. And, um, the band went through a big upheaval in the late nineties. Uh, so the band had kind of formed in 96 and then, <laughs> In 99, we went on some tours. We tried to tour the Midwest, just like Potter's Field had. Dan Israel and the Cultivators went down to Austin. You know, the other band had come up from Austin, Minneapolis. Dan Israel and the Cultivators tried to go down and back. And we did a couple times. But we had internal tensions galore in the band. We had uh, instability at the bass player position. We kept, there were like two guys who kind of went back and forth being the bass player. A great drummer. Uh, great guitarist but he had at the time he had alcohol issues and uh it all erupted in uh september of 99 labor day weekend of 99 there was something called the mill city music festival and we were all psyched to get the gig at it but it was an outdoor festival downtown warehouse district well we got booked for an indoor gig and there was nobody there and uh i felt like fucking off at the end of the gig like just being goofy and I said, let's do uh, Neil Diamond forever in blue jeans. If you pardon me, I'd like to say we do okay forever in blue jeans. Maybe tonight. Mainly kind of as a joke, uh, but the, uh, the guitar players said, I'm, I'm not going to play that. I said, come on, man. It's just nobody's here. Let's just have fun. Let's be silly. And he said, no. And I threw my guitar. I had, I still have the guitar. I had a Yamaha acoustic. 
and it erupted so bad I had a temper tantrum and I threw the guitar down I hit the monitor split the guitar I later taped it up with packaging tape and I still have the guitar but uh it's a reminder to myself never to do that again that's why I didn't get it fixed but the band basically broke up on stage he left uh and the drummer ended up quitting and we'd already actually brought in a new bass player at that point and I reformed the band. We were a quartet. I reformed it as a lean, mean power trio, which is actually what had happened at Potter's Field in Texas. I left that part out, but we that band had imploded at one point and we reformed as a power trio. Well, Danny's from the Cultivators reformed with a power trio with Dave Russ, who had been our like our engine our producer, engineer, took over as drummer. And uh we 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 kept playing. We didn't let up then. We just went forward. And I never really, I mean, to be honest, it was kind of like a festering wound that I never really addressed the fact that the band had imploded. And I'd put a lot of money and my own sweat and tears into making the first couple records, and I was in debt. And at a certain point, I decided just to make an acoustic, solo acoustic record. A lot of the songs, this was like in 1999, 2000, kind of about the band breaking up and about the music business sucking so bad. And I put out this record called Dan Who. It was just like 11 or so solo acoustic songs. I never could explain what good was suffering for the long-term gain. Prior commitments take the toll and strain. And I sent it to some critics. I sent it to Jim Walsh, who was the critic at the Pioneer Press at the time. He ignored it at first, didn't respond at all. And I, he had been talking up people like Ike Riley and Mason Jennings. I thought, Jim, you know, I didn't really even know him at the time, but I'm like, you're so into these guys, but listen to my stuff. You know why? I thought you'd like this. I actually think I sent him a note or a message. And then somehow he flipped out over it and he loved it. And he wrote this four star review of Dan Who. And he said, it was like the front page of the entertainment section at the Pioneer Press. And he said, Dan Israel, somebody buy a billboard, hire a blimp, and give this guy his due already. His name is Dan Israel, one of the mad ones, one of the strugglers. And he just made the record of his life. Reason I know it is because I still have a poster up on my wall with the little quote like that, and it it opened up this town for me a little bit. Like whereas I'd kind of been ignored, or at least I felt that way. All of a sudden, people were like Jim Walsh had a lot of sway at that time. He was he was really respected critic, and uh, I mean, he still is. But at that time, he had a platform as as the music editor of the Pioneer Press, which had a little bit higher profile back then. And uh, I started I started getting a little bit more notice, you know, and both for solo and for band stuff. And I think that my biggest five years were probably about then, like 2000 to 2005, 2006. 
service special. This year at ID Chrysler's Umbrota, buy three tires and get the fourth for free. With all the winter weather, I love my new tires. I'm a black Jeep Cherokee guy from ID Chrysler. Went 250,000 miles in my old car, which is too much for that poor thing to take. I found myself looking for a new dream ride at ID Chrysler. And the staff can more help with me choosing a vehicle and willing to work with my, as I call it, musician's credit score. Their philosophy is simple. Time-saving, hassle-free, fair price. Check out their inventory at ZombrotaCDJR.com or take the beautiful drive down US 52 to 1900 Roscoe Avenue, Zombrota, Minnesota, to visit them in person. Business hours are Monday through Friday, 8 to 6 p.m. and Saturday, 9 to 5 p.m. Closed on Sundays. Check out ID Chrysler Zombrota today and enjoy a safe winter season full of adventures and memories out in the open road in a new ride. I want to tell you about one of my favorite bars in the Roseville slash St. Paul, Minnesota area. The B-Dale Club, looking to the corner of Counter Road B. And Dale's motto is, a place for family, a place for friends, a place for fun. And that is the truth. Excited to have Twin Cities guitar legend Luke Kramer at B-Dale this Thursday. Going to rock the house. Johnson sitting in on bass as well. Rob, Natalie, Shelley, Tire, Barstaff, all state-of-the-art cocktail artists. As of late, my libation of choice, the classic Greyhound cocktail. They're to quote 16-time world champion Ric Flair. Tasty little devils. Live music, pool table, Old Dad's Bingo Botchball Tournaments, and much, much more. BDL's got it all. Stop by for a cold one soon. I, like, even won a couple big... They used to have Minnesota Music Awards. I won Song of the Year and Songwriter of the Year in, like, 05 and 06. Uh, and, you know, it was it was nice to get some recognition. It didn't necessarily translate beyond Minnesota. I did book some shows in England, and I went over and played, turned it into a vacation with my wife, uh, but but played five or six shows in the UK, and uh, you know it was it was never easy street never. But I did have a bump in my in my profile that time, and I just kept bugging away though, and I never got the big break. It never happened, you know. Um, kept working with that label in Arizona for a little while, then that kind of faded away, and that there was Martin Devaney here in town. created a label called Eclectone Records and I put out a few records with his Eclectone which with Charlie Parr was one of the original Eclectone artists and several other people that are still playing today including Martin and Martin and I go back to around 2000 or so we started playing got to be friends and you know and there's just this community of people that I've known even though you and I haven't I've known your name all these years but I'm sure we know like eight zillion people in common um but but there was a supportive community of people here sometimes felt less supportive than others but you know it it can it can be that way but um so anyway um my life though was kind of getting a little beyond what i could manage um i had you know the a little kid at home was trying to make ends meet with with the job and everything and then we had an i Actually, after my son had been born with and screamed for three months, I'd said, that's it. We're going to ha- only have one kid. And uh, my wife talked me into having another, which now I'm very glad about because we had a daughter uh, in 08, Susanna, Hannah. She was known as Susie for a while. <laughs> and, uh, and you know things were going along okay i was playing a lot i was getting gigs but underneath i was kind of falling apart and then my health took a dive um around 08 09 
started to have major digestive problems. Th- problem that really had existed since I was a teenager, but it, I think the stress of my life really exacerbated everything and uh, went for all kinds of tests and couldn't, couldn't get it under control. I lost 50 pounds in like six months at one point. And, uh, you know, they never really gave me a diagnosis that was satisfactory. It was always like irritable bowel syndrome. Well, you know, that lots of people have that. They don't, they're not incapacitated like I am, but it was, it was pretty severe, whatever was going on. And I, you know, it may, it was probably related to the fact that I had kind of developed, uh, an opiate addiction and, uh, to deal with life. And, and I, I was kind of messed up. You know, I was I was having a pretty rough time for a few years there and kind of getting into the 2010s. I was still going, you know, I was on a put out an album every year, every year, every other year, you know, endless treadmill sort of. (laughs) And always this is the one this is the one that's going to make it. You know, I kept feeling like I was getting better at what I was doing, but it wasn't translating into any more widespread acclaim i had all these connections with people i'd gone to college with people i'd known in music that i'd seen all these people that i knew you know feel like i'd watched um, you know dozens of people zoom by me you know come along after i'd been going for a while and get record deals i had friends who had hits you know i had friends with this band fastball in austin they they had big success in the late 90s um i mean i was happy for people but i was also like but what about you know over here like when's one of my i want to be happy for people and i'm trying to be magnanimous and yet I kept feeling like, when do I get my due? When do I get to quit my day job? When do I get to, you know, and the day job was really wearing me down. So I was really frustrated and I had health issues. And, um, I think I probably became somewhat unbearable to be around, which might explain why I got divorced in 20, in 2013, I moved out and 2014, I got divorced and felt like my life had crumbled to pieces at that point. And, uh, but I started over basically and I had some lucky breaks happen. Um, got, I mean, I don't want to go into it too much, but basically, um, from some relatives that they, I got left enough of a, a little bit of an inheritance and I got to quit my job. Um, you know, wasn't, I was not rich. I was not set for life or any of those things but it was enough that I was able to say all right the job's killing me I gotta leave now would I have left anyway um I don't know it's like a big I pondered it a lot because I really was at the end of my rope I mean and and all that did was enable me to you know walk when I was I'd wanted to walk so many times and there was actually one session it was it was the year I left it was 2017 and it it just damn near killed me you know there was like a week where I worked three overnight all-nighters you know approaching 24-hour shifts in in five days 
and I felt like I was going to crash my car on the drive home. You know, I just, it wasn't sustainable anymore. And I didn't really understand why they kept picking on me either. I mean, I really had had kind of enough of it. They would say, well, you're, you're such a good worker. I'm like, come on, you know, like you're not doing this to, I felt singled out whether, whether I was or not, who knows, but I felt, I felt a bit picked on after a while. And the, the tension with my music career just it never went away. So I, di- I did what I felt I had to do. I left. And I was scared as shit because it was like, it's one thing to say you're going to leave a job, but it's another thing when you've been there 20 years to actually get up, walk away, and go, I'm going to do music for my rest of my life, and I'm going to try to make this my, my main livelihood. Now, that's four and a half years ago. If you ask me, did, was it the right decision? I'd say for my sanity it was. Um, the, the jury's essentially still out on whether it's sustainable. I mean, and like you, I'm piecing it together to this day. You know, I'm, I've got a part-time freelance type of proofreading job for a local college, so I just still do some of that proofreading work. I've, I've actually really tried to get more of it, but maybe like you as well, I'm a little bit reluctant to jump headlong into a full-time position with anybody because I just, for one thing, I like the freedom of my, my life right now, you know, and I'm healthier because I get to sleep in, you know, some people be like, Oh, I wish I could sleep in. Well, I get it. I understand. But for me, it's made a huge difference. I'm a nocturnal person. I never adjusted well to getting up at at 6.30 or 7 like I did for the job all those years. I was miserable. And it's a lot more, it suits me a lot better to, to live like this. But it's also hard to make ends meet. Um, and I, in my divorce, I lost my house. I kept, I, I did a trade. I kept my retirement account from work and I lost my house. Well, consequently my big dilemma in life is always how am I going to pay the rent because I I don't own a house and and I can't afford to buy another house right now so I'm I'm in perpetual state of anxiety about paying the rent uh but I'd still rather you know and I've uh, some might say I've learned to make the most of my situation you know uh lots of different ways i i found some assistance now and then when i've had to um i don't like to beg i don't like to feel dependent on others but at the same time i kind of recognize that if i'm going to live this kind of life and not be at the top of the heap which feels out of my control anyway i got to do what i got to do not to the point where i'm going to do things that are illegal that that is a line i won't cross but i will be resourceful and find my way, navigate through this, you know, whatever I kind of have to do to get, get my kids raised and fed and out the door to college in a few years. Uh, my son is, you know, he's going to be a senior next year in high school. He's, so I'm going to, my daughter's 13. So it's really, I'm five years away from being an empty nester now, which is shocking to me. There's still little kids in my mind, sort of, but so they're great kids. I've, I think my biggest success in life has been my children. You know, that that's where I, I, you know, 16 albums, blah, blah, blah. That's great. 
but I look at how my kids are right now and knock on wood, they're sure turning out well. And, you know, give their mom lots of credit, too, and their grandparents and their community and their teachers and everything. But I do feel real proud of what the way they turned out. Song. 